Acts chapter 13. We're going to walk through it. Now, I'm not a lecturer. I'm not a professional. I don't know the book of Acts. I was told that you guys had already studied the first 12 chapters and you'd really worked through 13 also. So I'm really hoping you're just going to tell me what you learned. Not all at once. But review for me just for a minute. Help me understand what's going on in the book of Acts up to this point. Before you get to chapter 13, what's up? What's happening? By the way, did everybody find the book of Acts? All right. It's in the New Testament. It's uh, probably three-fourths of the way through the Bible. God's what? The gospel's All right. The gospel's being spread from where to where to where? All right, so it kind of starts in Jerusalem. Why would it start in Jerusalem? Where was Jesus from? Where was he crucified? All right, home base for the Jewish people, right? Who is hearing the gospel so far in these first 12 chapters? Primarily the Jews. Primarily the Jews. So who has been the, uh, who's been the main character up to this point in the book? That's going to change. It has been, Peter. That's about to change. What have you seen the Holy Spirit doing so far? Third person of the Trinity. I think Chan's book was, what did you tell me? The name of Chan's book? Forgotten God, that's right. The forgotten. What's he doing so far? What did he do in Acts chapter 2? What did the Holy Spirit do? What? cool is that? I mean, what would you guys do if suddenly Euless grew by 3,000 brand new believers? I mean, in the morning, 3,000 get saved and they show up Sunday. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I would do if I were John Metter. I would recruit you and you better be discipling them. Which means in case God does that, you better be getting ready. You better be getting ready to pour into somebody else. All right, 3,000. That was one of the things. What else have you seen the Holy Spirit do? All right, some teaching, some instructions, some orders, go do this. Okay, good. Anything else? A little courage. A little strong heart, brave heart. Thank you. A little boldness, okay. All right, anything else? Awesome. Let me, let me ask you a question about that. He gave, he said, I don't know if you, everybody here, he gave, everybody, gave a group of people, a community of people, if you will, one mind, one heart, one, one purpose. Is that, I mean, you know, we've talked about the Holy Spirit, like the speaking in tongues thing, 3,000 people added. That's, that's, that's pretty spectacular. The dude that gets up, he can't walk, he jumps up, he starts dancing in the temple area, kind of shocked everybody. That's pretty spectacular. But I mean, like, everybody just going, okay, we're cool, we agree. Is that really a big deal? So, so you just kind of think we'd be in really bad trouble right now if we existed. So this unity thing is important. But I mean, you could get a bunch of non-Christians to agree, Right? What makes this different? 
I'm just, just off the top of your head. It wasn't really in the book of Acts. I'm just curious. God's really been whipping me about uh, unity lately. And I just kind of wanted to hear what you guys thought. Faith? Are you still here? Any connection between you and those folks in Columbia? Any sameness, oneness, community? It's a little hard to believe. They're not like you. They don't look like you. They don't eat the same food you do. They don't speak the same language. And if I understood right, you just confessed to being a non-Spanish speaker. So you were praying for the gift of tongues while you were there. And it, it didn't happen. Okay. Okay. This unity thing is huge. John chapter 17. You're right. You're right. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He's going to be crucified the next morning. I mean, this is it. This is the end. And he's praying, and he prays in John chapter 17. You can look it up later. For his followers, his disciples. And not only for the ones in the garden like John and Peter and stuff, but he prays for the ones that are going to believe because of their word, which would be us. And he prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Now let that soak in. He prays that we would be one like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. That's the kind of unity he's talking about. That's huge. That's hard, to, hard for me to get my mind around. Acts is a pretty cool book. I mean, the Holy Spirit unleashed. I mean, we're seeing all kinds of cool stuff. But I want to talk about 13 because I'm really pumped about 13. So walk me through it. How does 13 begin? Where is everybody and who's there and what's going on? Antioch. Who is in Antioch? Okay, so we got these prophets. Did you say Barnabas and Saul? Saul, Paul. What do you know about Barnabas so far in this book? Okay, where did you, do you remember, happen to remember? You don't have to, but I don't know if you happen to remember where you saw that. All right, so Paul was on his way up to Damascus. Help me, right? Damascus, Syria. He gets struck down by the Lord, converts, and then he has to leave Syria. Where was that? Back in Acts 9, maybe? Does that sound right? Hmm? Okay, so Acts 9, 26. Look over there just for a second. Verse 24. I want to back up just a hair. Paul is in Damascus, and apparently he's teaching. Verse, uh, if you back up, like verse 19 and on. He is teaching and arguing with the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But look at verse 24. They were going to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And then, you know, like you said in verse 26, he goes to Jerusalem, and the only guy in town that will talk to him is Barnabas. But who helped Paul escape? from Damascus. 
What does it say? Whose disciples? Paul's disciples. And what does that tell me about Paul? What's going on? Even at the beginning of his life, what is he doing? He's teaching, he's witnessing, he's sharing, he's arguing with the Jews. He is, he's, he's just naturally inclined to be engaging people about Jesus Christ. I mean, he's just supernaturally inclined. He's doing it. That's going to be important in a few minutes. So he goes to Jerusalem and Barnabas is his only friend, right? All right, cool. Anything else I know about Barnabas? Ah, hence the name, yeah, the encourager. The encourager, very cool. Anything, any other connections between Paul and Barnabas? I think, if I remember right, after, or back in 10, he what? Or it's 11, 11, I'm sorry. Would you, when this church starts down in Antioch, who does the church in Jerusalem send to check it out? Barnabas. What, what does Barnabas find out about it? I think it's Acts 11. What's going on in Antioch? Come on, this is cool stuff. Acts, let me find it. Acts 11. It's what? Okay, all right. Good. What do I learn? What should I have learned? They sent Barnabas down to Antioch. And he arrived and he witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. What did he do? Brought him back. He's got a guy. It's like Barnabas shows up in Antioch and goes, dude, this church is exploding. You know who'd be really good here? Saul. So he goes over to Tarsus and he gets him and brings him back. Acts chapter 13, that's how they wound up in Antioch. By the way, what other really cool thing happened at Antioch before we go through chapter 13? One of the things just really jumped out at me. First place they were ever called Christians was Antioch. Any of you guys take Latin? What is Christian? Belonging to Christ? It could be translated little Christ. Christianus, little Christ. Probably making fun of them. Look at them, look at them, acting like little Christ. Pretty cool. So they called Christians for the very first time in Antioch, and they got Saul and Barnabas, and who did you say in chapter 13? Prophets, teachers, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. Any idea who Simeon might be just for fun? Might be, maybe, possibly, not necessarily, but could be. Mark chapter 15, the guy that carried Jesus' cross. Uh, dude, if that's true, there's some heavyweight guys. I mean, there's some serious prophets. and teach These are guys that get up under the cross. These are guys up under Christ. These are guys that are hardcore. 
So what happens? In verse 1, they're all together. What happens when they're all together? And the Holy Spirit did what? Uh, yeah, yeah, and by the way, on pronouncing those names, just say it with gusto. It doesn't matter. You just say it like you mean it. Everybody, if anybody thought they knew how to pronounce it, they'll go, wow, dude, I've been missing that. Because he said it like he, yeah, just say it. Don't, don't worry about it. It's not in Texas anyway. It doesn't matter. All right, so these, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set these guys aside, Right? To do what? What are they going to do? Set aside, or do we know? To be sent out to the work that the Holy Spirit has called them to, right? How many of you are... Now this is assuming, assuming that you're a Christian. You're really curious. You want to know, like, God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? I mean, like, if you would just give me a list, I want you to accomplish these eight things. I'd be really cool. That would... Anybody? That's kind of interesting. I, I mean, I feel that way. Lord, just, you know, I, I know why God won't give me a list. Because my personality type, I would never talk to him again until I finished the list. I would check it off, got it, done, come back, anything else? Because I'm going to take a vacation, like, if you're, if you're done, Lord. I mean, I would do that. I would ignore the relationship, and I would check off the work because of the way that I'm wired. So he just doesn't give me a list. It's a walking with him. He says, I want you to set these guys aside. From what you've seen in the first 12 chapters of Acts, is it shocking that he would pick Paul and Barnabas to go out and witness and plant churches? I mean, don't they seem like the two least likely guys? Neither one of them know the gospel, neither one of them teach, they're not... Prophets, I'm kidding. By the way, if I throw out heresy like that, you need to say something. You need to go, wait, dude, that's not what the text says. Listen, they were already doing, right? They were already doing what the Holy Spirit just set them aside to do. There's a real secret there for knowing God's will for my life. I walk so close to Him that I wind up following the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is what you've seen in 12 chapters so far, the Holy Spirit leading. And through His gifting, I gravitate towards certain things, and I wind up doing those things. It's called, in, in, in our terms at my church, we call it received ministry. It means I don't try to work to achieve. I'm just doing what God has gifted and called me to do. And out of that, God births a ministry. And I wind up doing it without having really intently pursued it. So I don't go to seminary to find out what God wants me to do. I go to seminary because it's the next logical step in line with what God has been doing. Does that make sense? He called... Paul set aside Paul and Barnabas. Well, what have they been doing in Acts? They've been teaching and preaching and working in the synagogues and encouraging. 
They've been doing that all the time. Why did he call them now? He's been setting them up and practicing, and now he's setting them aside for the ministry, the ministry they've already been in. They've received a ministry, and the church now is saying, hey, we recognize this, and the Holy Spirit set them aside. That's just cool. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. He was set aside, and he was gifted and already doing that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. When I, was, uh, when I became a believer, um, I became a believer as an adult and had no real experience with church, so I didn't know anything about anything. But before long, I wound up teaching a, uh, a class of uh, eight- and nine-year-old boys. And I didn't have anything to teach them because I didn't know the Scripture. I taught them to do push-ups and stuff when they gave me trouble. So I had real strong but very ignorant eight- and nine-year-old boys. But every, I mean, I moved after a few years and went to New Mexico to go to college. Uh, and there, every, everywhere I went, the leadership just kept moving me into some teaching position. And it wasn't leadership going, hey, let's see if he can teach. In every case, it was they were sensing the movement of the Holy Spirit. They saw a gift that I hadn't even seen. I had no idea that God was, that God had, that my spiritual gift was teaching. No clue. But God kept moving me in those positions. Eventually, they laid hands on me and ordained me. But it wasn't a radical change the day after the ordination. I was the same as I had been from the day I became a believer. I was just growing more. So I would encourage you, don't run out there and look for God to suddenly do some radical shift in your life. Just look at what he's doing now and keep following it. Assuming that you're a Christian and you're growing in your relationship with the Lord. Acts chapter 13, Simon, Peter, I mean not Peter, Paul, all these guys, set them apart. What were they doing when they were, again, verse 3, what was the church doing when they got ready to set these guys apart? Verse 2 and 3. Fasting and praying. How did they know that the Holy Spirit was saying, set these guys apart? Was it like a PowerPoint slide? or I'm kind of kidding. PowerPoint was very primitive in those days. How, how did they know? I mean, did the, was there like a, this voice? A deep, very male voice? Set them aside. Everybody's going. <laughs> Any ideas? Hmm? They just knew. One, they already knew that they were teachers. One, two, they, they must have known their character by this time. 
And they just knew. They were indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit in them is saying. And they just knew. But at the same time, they were also, you said, fasting, and what was the other one? Praying. Do you guys fast? Don't raise your hand. And it doesn't mean to pray quickly. That's just totally different. Fasting and prayer is different. Eventually, you guys are going to start laughing at these jokes. You know you are. You can't help it. Because the jokes get better the longer I go. <laughs> they don't, really. They don't. Fasting and prayer. Fasting. They were so intensely focused. Worship. Seeking the face of God that they were not eating. It's not like fasting from the movies. Fasting from chocolate. Fasting from... I'm not, you know, football, I'm not going to play football for a week. I'm not going to watch ESPN for the next two weeks, which would be a great sacrifice, but it's not fasting. Fasting, they, they were not eating. They said, I'm not going to eat. We're going to go without food. Lunchtime, we're going to pray. Dinner time, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the face of God. How are you doing with that? You ever do that? to try to seek the face of God, hear his voice. Not fasting to get him to do what you want him to do. Fasting so you can hear more clearly. Now, this also doesn't mean, ladies, that I'm going to not eat because I'm worried about my weight and call it fasting. It's not the same. And guys, that doesn't mean that you get to work and you're working hard and you forget to stop and eat lunch and ask God if you could call that a fast, which I've done. I get to working and first thing I know it's 5 o'clock and completely forgot to eat lunch. And then I'm going, can we count that as a fast? No, it means I'm purposely setting aside the time to seek the face of God. Who was fasting? Just out of curiosity. Who does it sound like? I know you can't give me a list of names exactly, but... The prophets and the teachers? Do you think it was just the prophets and teachers? Or do you think it might have been the whole church? And, and I don't know, I'm just asking. It's pretty hardcore, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go to La Hacienda. By the way, I'll fast when I get back to Chattanooga, not while I'm out here. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty hardcore. It may have been the whole church. It may have been just that group. They were fasting and seeking. Either way, this is my point, it was the community of believers, either that small subgroup within the community or the community of believers. They were doing church together. They were doing community together. They were doing life together. And they were fasting together and they were praying together. And they heard God say, set these two guys aside. So let's walk through the rest of it. What happens? Where do they go? What do they do? It's what? Cyprus. Cyprus. Island is still there. You can go there. 
what happens at Cyprus? Hmm? They preach. How does that go for them? Yeah, it goes pretty good. Blinded this one dude, which would be really cool. God's never let me do that, but I've thought about it. Actually, I just thought about poking him in the eye, not really like praying spiritual blindness on him. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. A lot lot of interaction. Tell me about the last half, starting in 13. They're at uh, Poseidon, Antioch. And what, what happens? Why a synagogue? Because it's the Sabbath. But these guys are Christians. Okay, they're Jews and they're Christians. And they are looking for people that have a good place to start. Watch that word synagogue all the way through for the rest of your time in Acts. Watch for that phrase, synagogue. Watch where Paul goes. Watch for Paul's method of operation. How does he, what's his strategy? It becomes really important if I'm going to model a ministry after the book of Acts. I want to know how did it happen there? What was Peter's strategy? We're almost done, about done with Peter. You're not going to see a lot more of Simon Peter. Now you're going to be focused a lot more on Paul. What's his strategy? How's it different than Peter's? They went to the synagogue. What happens at the synagogue? Yeah, brother, have you got a word of exhortation? Why did they ask Paul if he had a word of exhortation? Yeah, he did. What did he say? He told them what? The whole story. What whole story? Okay. Before we go any further, why? Any idea why? Why would he? He's talking to Jews. Why would he start with Abraham? Okay. All right. What? That could be a great song. Father Abraham. Why did he go through this long history? They, it was... Yeah. When he gets to Athens, watch where he starts in Athens. He's not talking to Jews in Athens. But when you get there, where does he start? So Paul starts with what they already knew, Right? And what? (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a little spooky. All right, so he's stating facts. He's walking them through. But are these facts new to them? I mean, you could start stating astronomy facts that would be true and they would all be new to me. All right. Now I realize that, that we're hitting this kind of hard because we're going both sides saying the same thing. He started with what they knew. This is real important. He started with what they knew. He started with where they were. 
in your developing relationships for the purpose of inviting them to be a part of the community of Christ. You start where they are. You have to start where they are. You can't start where you want them to be. You have to connect at whatever level they are and then go from there. And it may be a long time, maybe a long walk. Does that make sense? Paul did that. He started where they were. They all knew about Moses. They knew about the law. They knew about David. They knew a Messiah was going to come from David. They knew. Yep, sometimes you have to be reminded. Absolutely. So he starts and he reminds them, but where does he go from there? All right, we got descendants of David. All right, so then he identifies the Messiah and he identifies Jesus as the Messiah. So what does he, give me, give me the facts, the basics, ideas anyway, the basic ideas. What does he tell me about Jesus in this? Okay, good, good. Anything else? The law is not going to free them. Now, who's he he's speaking to who again? The Jews, which were under the law. And just for fun, just for fun, name a couple of things in the law that they would have to, that they would be constrained by. What are we talking about the law? Like don't speed, don't park in the fire lane, what? Okay. All right. Food laws maybe also in addition to the 10. The what? Yeah, no shellfish. And what about the animals? Yeah, have you guys read Leviticus by the way? Oh, dude, it's an awesome book. You got to read it. You got to read it. If you were like eating dinner when you leave here tonight, you're like in a restaurant and a gecko, one of those little lizards is crawling across the ceiling and he dies and falls in your soup, stop eating. I'm serious. Your soup is now unclean. <laughs> Who knew? That's so cool. Yeah. If like a camel walks in and dies and falls on your table, don't eat any of that food that like fell on the floor and stuff because it's now unclean. I love the book of Leviticus. Just fun stuff. All right. So we've got clean and unclean animals. We've got all kinds of laws and restrictions, right? Will the laws set them free? Free from what? Wait a minute. I'm, now I'm free from what? Free from sin. What is a sin? It's what? S something that separates me from God? It's what? Breaking the law. So if I'm Jewish and I break the law, 
Am I in trouble? Is there a problem with that? You guys ever play with the Greek? Anybody? The word, you know the word for sin here, just out of curiosity? Could literally be translated as, uh, let, me, let me see, verse, uh, oh, I saw it earlier, and because I was in a hurry, I didn't mark it. Freed from 38, thank you. Forgiveness of sins. That word is to miss the mark. You've probably heard that, right? To miss the mark. Could easily, could easily imply to miss the purpose. Now think about that. A sin is when I miss the purpose. What a sin it would be if I missed God's purpose for my life. I fell short of God's purpose for my life. I didn't grab God's purpose for my life, but I was a little to the left. Came in short on the right. Just didn't get God's purpose for my life. Wow. And the law will not free you from missing. That's pretty radical. Do, we, uh, do you guys ever catch yourself in that same boat? I mean, just out of curiosity. Do you have to obey laws? Anybody? Okay, I passed a policeman on the highway south of Chattanooga, north of Atlanta today. Caught myself looking at my speedometer. Why? Just in case. And I was only about eight miles an hour over the speed limit. So he didn't pull me over. I do not drive by law, I drive by grace. It doesn't always work. You have to obey some laws, you guys? What's the penalty for breaking the law? Might get a ticket if I'm speeding. Big picture, and you're dead on the money. What's the penalty for missing the law? Wages of sin is death. The paycheck that I earn is death. But, but what? The gift of God is if I, if I embrace it, if I confess, if I surrender, a lot of ways to express it. So he gives them the gospel. He gives them the gospel. How do the people respond when he gives them the gospel? They what? How did they respond here in Acts 13? All right. They wanted him to preach again. And then what happens after that? The next Sabbath, what happens? The what? Almost the whole city. Now, is this a Jewish city or a Gentile city or mixed? So almost the whole city shows up. And then he preaches the gospel. And how do, they, how do they respond the second time? Right. Some embrace and some walk away. Exactly. Some embrace it and some walk away. How does Paul respond? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's bold. He's bold. He's bold. I love it. Every single time you see the gospel presented in the book of Acts, 
you have that option that hits. Some love it. Some walk away. Fun stuff. Just for fun, I want you to look at verse, uh, oh, let me see, 14, no, 16, where he begins in the synagogue at Poseidon, Antioch. Look who he addresses. What two groups? Men of Israel and you who fear God. Oh, David, you're just talking about the men of Israel. Well, hang on. At the end, uh, as he's leaving the synagogue, now verse 43, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing, Gentiles that embraced Judaism, Gentiles that sought after God were not considered really, really Jews. They were called God-fearers. Watch that phrase in the New Testament. Watch it in the book of Acts. It comes up a lot. These are Gentile Jews, if you will. They're not born Jewish, but they're Gentiles that embraced. And even in embracing Judaism, they really weren't Jewish. They were just God-fearers. They were allowed to worship with them, but not really be them. The phrase comes up all the time, the Jews and the God-fearers. Turn back to verse 1. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas, we know he's Jewish, Simon, who is called Niger. Anybody look that up? Anybody have any idea this nickname? What does this mean? It means what? Yeah, dark-complected, probably black. You know where Cyrene is? Anybody look it up? North Africa. That's where the next guy, Lucius, Lucius, by the way, is a Roman name. So we've got one guy that moves in Roman circles, and he's from northern Africa, and we've got this other guy who is named, nicknamed dark-complected. And if it's the same one from Mark 15 that carried Jesus, Jesus' cross, he is also, if it's the same one, he's also from Cyrene. He's also from North Africa. So in the same church, Prophets and teachers, i got at least two people that may well not be Jews from Jerusalem. And then I've got Saul, who's trained in all the rabbinical schools of thought. He's the rabbi of rabbis. What do you see right there? Use an Old Testament phrase, you've got a mixed multitude. You've got people of different places and different ideas, different skin color, Worshiping the same God together, fasting and praying. Which brings us back to that idea of unity. We are one in the body. We are one in the Lord. How cool is that? What else you want to tell me about Acts chapter 13?
come on, you want to tell me something, surely. It what? It fulfilled a prophecy? How? Who, what, when, where, why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm struggling with this. Light to the Gentiles? Where would that prophecy have come from? If you don't know, it's okay. But if you do. From the very beginning, all the way back in Isaiah, it was in there. We're going to bring the Gentiles in to the fold. That rocks. The Jews didn't get it. History shows us that. They just didn't get it. At this point in history, there was no idea. Even in the book of Acts, if a Gentile came in, he's not really one of us. He's a God-fearer, but he's not really Jewish. But even Isaiah said, I'm go- I'm gonna, God said, I'm going to set up something so there will be a light to the Gentiles. And the people in Galilee will see a great light. God said, I'm going to bring Gentiles into the fold. Any of you Jewish, just out of curiosity? Oh, that's sad. Not one? Not one Jew? Okay. Okay. All right. Nobody else? Oh, you guys have got to get after it now. Come on. One quarter? Two? You see, you guys got to, you guys got to get out and start making disciples. Listen. The church, the church is to be made up somewhat like that little microcosm in Antioch. All mixed up. Different creed, different color, different shape, different sizes. All one in the Lord. Worshiping together, fasting together, seeking the Lord together, and sending out people to share the gospel together. So you probably need to find somebody that's not lily white Anglo like most of you and start developing a relationship with them for the purpose of sharing Christ, which is the purpose, amen, thank you, which is the purpose that we have, it's develop relationships and share Christ, all right, anything else you want to tell me about Acts 13? All right, the two responses that he left me. I've been rejected. The two responses, one rejects, one accepts, and they didn't quit. They just kept going. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, I love the book of Acts. Watch Paul's missionary journeys. Watch the Holy Spirit absolutely radically unleash the power of God. Watch Paul's strategy as you keep going. Some amazing stuff that he does fun stuff. Watch his nerve. The guy was gutsy. And if you ever get a chance, go to Israel. Don't pray about it. I'm telling you, it is God's will for your life. Go to Israel. Go to Israel. Amen.
Amen. Amen. It's awesome. I had the privilege of being in India for two weeks and speaking to a group of Indian pastors. Um, language was totally different. Their worship style did not appeal to me in any way. In my opinion, we, just, we were totally different parts of the planet. We had such a connection, a heart connection, because we loved each other. I couldn't understand their music, but boy, we sure loved the same God. It was a neat time. If you haven't experienced that, if you haven't gotten outside your skin color, shame on you. You need to. Can I close in prayer? And then, all right. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for allowing us this incredible privilege of taking a little time on a Wednesday evening talking about your word. Father, it is a, uh, acts as such a beautiful picture of your spirit at work. And Lord, uh, I pray that we wouldn't miss that. And Father, I pray for these men and women. Pray that you'd give them a passion and a hunger for your word. Father, I don't know them, but I, I kind of suspect some of them some of them really do study your word and some of them just show up. Father, I pray that you would absolutely bring tremendous conviction and wear them out if they're not willing to get into your word. Father, would you bring them to that point that they embrace the discipline of a daily study of Scripture. Father, I pray that they would step up to the plate and be the men and women of God that you have called them to be. They wouldn't miss their purpose because they're seeking your face. Father, I pray that you would challenge them on fasting. Challenge them to make this community a one-heart body of believers who are seeking you with everything they have. Father, I pray that you would show these men and women how much you love them and how desperately they need you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. By the way, do they, they know we're ordaining you?